Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. So good to see your faces and, uh, well, some of your, part of your faces. And uh, um, if you're new here, thanks so much for being here. My name is Dan, and uh, we would love to get to know you if you're newer. Um, when you feel comfortable telling us about yourself, if it, we have uh, connection cards at the doors on top of the boxes. And if you want to pick one of those up, just tell us a little bit about yourself sometime. We'd love to talk to you and get to know you more. Thank you for being uh, with us. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. You know, as we open the word today and as we come together, I just, I want to acknowledge that we are coming from a lot of different circumstances this week and, and uh, the cumulative stress of what our country has been through and our world has been through the past whatever it's been now six months I don't know if it just takes a toll doesn't it (laughs) and in addition life's hard enough and so um, you know this week was the anniversary of 9-11 and with the wildfires going on and and the tragedies uh, there and the people in our church and in our lives and some of you who are going through terrible suffering there's a lot, there's a lot to take in and we are so thankful today to come to the Lord, submit ourselves to his word and hear his truth and remember he is our rock, amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit for being our rock in this world that quakes and shakes and trembles and we trust that you are good, you are in control, you love and you love us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us now, encourage us, help us to become like you and help us to be filled with your love so that we might love you and love one another in a way that honors you and glorifies you and that also brings us the full fulfillment of joy that you created us for and knowing you and living in your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One of the things I was thinking this week, one of the things that you learn as a parent is that you have to be careful how you act around your kids because they will imitate you. Um, You have to be careful as a parent how you talk around your kids because your kids will begin to say what you say. Children imitate their parents. And uh, I want to show you this short, cute video of babies imitating their dads, if this video will work for us. In today's passage, 
Ephesians 5.1, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Christians, be imitators of God because you are his beloved children. Um, what I find fascinating about this verse <clears throat> is that when it tells us to be imitators of God, it's telling us specifically to be imitators of God the Father. And we know this because here it's referring to us as children. And whose children are we? The Father's. We're the Father's children. So Paul tells us, dearly beloved children, be imitators of your Father, God the Father. And often, you know, when we think of being a Christian, when we think of being followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus, uh, we, we think just in terms of Jesus, the Son. We're just following Jesus, and that is true. We're followers of Jesus. But Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And so to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a disciple of the Father because Jesus showed us perfectly what God the Father is like, what he's really like. But I think often we wonder, do I really want to be like the Father? <laughs> do I want to be like God the Father? Well, I, I think in this letter to the Ephesians, one of the most helpful things that the Apostle Paul does is he corrects our flawed misunderstandings about what God the Father is really like. For all sorts of reasons, we have different flawed understandings of what the Father is like. When you think about God the Father, what do you think he is like? When, when you know, from what you've read about him in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and what you've experienced in your life, what is God's temperament? How does God the Father feel about you? How does God the Father feel about sinful people? And I think for a lot of time, I mean, I really reflected this week. I mean, this, honestly, this week, this sermon was so healing for me, personally. <laughs> I've been excited to preach it because I think for a long time, I thought of the Father as the massive, holy, untouchable God, extremely busy. He's the ultimate spiritual power running the universe. And because he's thoughtful, he makes time to listen to me and to my prayer requests, which really are an intrusion on his time. And he probably won't give me my requests because I'm such a mess and because I have twisted motives. And I know that even in what I pray. And uh, listen, my life is so insignificant on the scale of the universe and on the scale of eternity. I mean, really, God has more important things on his plate than to listen to me, right? He's got super important things to do, like making sure that attacking hordes of demons don't siege heaven or making sure that all the planets and the suns and galaxies don't run into each other and blow up the universe, right? More important things than me to deal with. And in addition, when I think about, you know, what Scripture means, that, that I can come boldly to the throne of grace because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, you know, what my, my sinful mind thinks that that means that because Jesus died for me, God the Father will now tolerate me in his presence. But his general disposition toward me is one of disappointment and wrath. 
but, but he's not going to touch me now because I've got this force field protecting me of Jesus' blood and it's protecting me from the Father's disappointment in me and the Father's displeasure in me. But as I studied the word this week, man, and got in and God graciously and sweetly reminded me that all those thoughts about how he views me are wrong. One of the consequences of, of humanity's fall into sin is that our minds now think inaccurate wrong methods, or sorry, wrong thoughts about God. And in addition to our broken minds, Satan feeds, what's he doing? He's feeding me lies about God all the time. He's feeding me lies about myself because he does not want me to know or to believe the truth about how God really feels about me. This is the truth. This is the sweet truth that scripture says. The truth is that the reason why I can now come confidently to the Father's throne is not because Jesus is my force field protecting me from the Father, but because the Father wants me with him so much, he's the one who sacrificed his only beloved son to have me with him. See that? It's totally wrong to think that Jesus is the only person in God who truly loves me and who wants me. The Father loves me. He wants me just as much. The Father has loved me and wanted me before the foundation of the world, it says, when he foreknew me before he even created me. <laughs> yeah, my sins have offended God deeply. Yes, my sinfulness, my rebellion, my fleshly sensuality has separated me from God like we read last week. And yeah, God is so good and perfect that he must do justice. He would not be a good God if he did not do justice. He must unleash, unleash his wrath toward me, toward my sin. But that doesn't mean God hated me or that he hates me now as a stumbling, wandering Christian. Listen, God the Father loves me so much he sent his son to absorb all of his wrath so that it would be done with. God's eternal wrath toward me, it's no longer part of the relationship. He took it away. He took it away from me when Jesus died on the cross as my propitiating sacrifice. Jesus is my scapegoat who takes the sin on him and takes it away into the wilderness forever. So Christian, this is what we need to know. And in the midst of whatever views have formed our view, you know, wrongly formed our understanding of God, in the midst of our terrible suffering and of our angst, know that the Father is not wrathful toward you. He does not want to hurt you and cause you pain. Even when life is so terrible, it makes you question God's love for you Trust the truth of the promises of his word. The Father loves you. The Father wants you. Praise God, right? <laughs> this is the word. This is not happy thoughts I'm trying to think. I'm trying to correct my messed up thoughts by bringing it into confirmation with God's word. That's what I'm trying to do. Man, in the past few months, I've been reading this incredible book, which I cannot um, high, recommend to you highly enough. It's called uh, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by a really theologically solid writer named Dane Ortland. 
And he really has helped me believe in a new way that God loves me. And he writes, some of us view God's heart as brittle, easily offended. Some of us view his heart as cold, uneasily moved. God is unswervingly just, but what is his disposition? What is he on the edge of his seat, eager to do? See, if you catch me off guard, what will leap out of me before I have time to regain composure will likely be grouchiness. If you catch God off guard, what leaps out most freely is blessing. The impulse to do good. The desire to swallow us up in joy. This is why Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, can say of God that all his attributes seem but to set out his love. In the Old Testament, God repeatedly describes himself with this phrase. Think about the words he used to describe himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and sin. But that doesn't seem to be the way that many of us think about the Father, or at least me. You know, when, and then when you go to the New Testament, right, which seems a little happier sometimes, right? You read about Jesus and the Gospels. I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself, man, I wish the Father was a lot more like Jesus. <laughs> well, the Father is like Jesus, okay? They are the very same God. And to put it another way, Jesus is exactly like the Father, Jesus came to show us what our heavenly father is like. I don't know if you remember in John 14 when Philip asked Jesus to show the disciples God the father. And Jesus told Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. <laughs> and then a few chapters later in John 16, Jesus tells his disciple, the father himself loves you. You hear that, Christians? You need to hear that. The Father himself loves you. And then now where we're at in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he describes in great detail how much the Father loves us and what he's done for us to love us. That's why we spent so long going through the first chapter. <laughs> That's why Paul spent the first chapter telling us, how does he start the whole letter? Blessed be to who? our God and Father. The Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. The Father has lavished the riches of his grace upon us in Christ. Thank you, Father, right? So Christians, in Ephesians 5.1, the Father, this is how he what he calls you, his beloved child. You know what that means? Well, each word signifies something there, beloved and child. First, with children, that, that word beloved children, it means that when you trusted in Jesus for salvation, your identity changed. You went from being a rebel against God to being one child that he adopted into his family. He's, 
given you his family name. Why are we baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? We are claiming the name of God upon us. We are claiming outwardly what God has done to us spiritually. You are a son or daughter of the Lord Almighty at whose name all the demons tremble. (laughs) You are forever his child. He's not gonna kick you out. He will never, he says, let any sin, spirit, or power steal you from him, snatch you from his hand. Is that good news? <laughs> and Ephesians 5.1 says that you're not only an adopted child of God, you're beloved. That means, that's a word that means you're dearly loved. In fact, it means you are cherished by God. You are cherished by the Father. He loves you so much that even before you were born, any, before any of us were born, Jesus came. He gave the life of his beloved son in order to give you life in his beloved son. <laughs> That's how much he loves us. Now, I was just thinking about, man, if we, can you imagine how much this would change our ourselves and our world and the way that we view other people if we really believed this? I mean, can you imagine how radically we would change our view of of God the Father and the Son and the Spirit if we believe that this triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit each dearly love us and they each want eternal good for us and for for the world? That the the Father so loved the world in its badness that he gave his only son so that those who trust in him might be redeemed from the curse? Think about that. I just think like how this changes your prayer life and how this changes my prayer life, Christian. I'm not coming anymore to the Father in Christ's name because that's the only way God's gonna tolerate me and potentially throw me a bone. You come to the Father in Christ confidently because the Father's the one who sent Jesus for you because the Father and the Son love you like crazy and they want you with them. Is that awesome? This is so good. God the Father dearly loves you and cherishes you, Christian. And in light of that, once you get that, once you believe it, what does Ephesians 5.1 tell you to do? Imitate the Father who loves you. A child learns how to imitate his or her parents because the child spends a lot of time with his or her parents. He watches his parents. He listens to his parents. Likewise, in order for us to learn how to imitate the Father, we've got to spend a lot of time with them intentionally. We've got to sp- open the Word. We've got to watch the Father, watch the Son, watch the Spirit. How do they, how do they work? What do they do? What's driving them? We've got to listen to God through His Word. Because this is the reality. Whenever God commands us to do something in Scripture, What's he really doing? He's commanding us to be like him in some way. He's commanding us to imitate him in some way. He wants us to be copycats of him so that our families in this church, in this community, will see him through us, in us. Because why why is that important that, that the world, that you, that your friends see God in you? 
because God reaches the lost people around us and God glorifies his name in heaven on earth when we imitate him, when his glory is shown through his word, through us by his spirit. And and in recent weeks, when we just finished reading through Ephesians chapter four, which God has told us how to imitate him. He's given us real practical examples of how to love him and how to love one another. And he said, don't be impure, but be pure like me. Don't be a liar, but live in truth like me. Don't sin in your anger, but work righteousness when you're angry. Don't steal anymore, but use the gifts I've given you to work hard and be generous with your money like I am. And don't corrupt others with your speech, but use your words like I do to strengthen others, to help others for their good. Don't be a bitter person, a quarrelsome person, a malicious person, but be kind to one another, humble, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just like I forgave you in Christ. When we read commands like this, you know, you might think to yourself, well, that sounds hard. (laughs) That sounds really hard. And you're right. In fact, it is impossible for you to do any of that on your own. But you've got to believe and we've got to tell ourselves, nothing is impossible for the God who loves me and who lives in me right now. God says he is the one who will give me the desire to do his will and the power to do his will. And so what's my task? My task is to keep my eyes on him, to keep my ears listening to him, to ask him to help me imitate him. And as I do that, as I work on imitating him, I don't do that motivated by fear. I do that because God has already accepted me in Christ. He's already justified me. He's already declared me not guilty and given me the righteousness of God. That's where I start from. I start at the finish line. And so now, man, I want to bring honor to my father. I want to bring glory to him by imitating him for all of the world, for all of the invisible spirits in heaven to see that the father saves sinners like me and redeems them beautifully by the blood of his son, Jesus. (laughs) So God the Father wants us to love others the way that he loves us. We are his beloved, and so we should be loving like he loves. We're his beloved, so we should be loving, like, be loving like he is. And so this goes right into the next verse, Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love, okay? This key word, love. You are his beloved, boom, walk in love. As Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what's the command? Walk in love, Christian. Live a life of love. And and as we see this theme of walking threaded throughout this whole letter, what we see is that God is teaching us how to walk. He's teaching us how to walk as he walks, just like little children learning how to walk like their parents. And And wherever we walk, God wants us, he wants our feet to leave footprints of his love. He 
He wants us to, our footprints to look like his love. So what does that look like? I mean, well, we learn what love really is and we learn how to really love one another by imitating him. It all goes back to him. See, God tells us in 1 John 1, or excuse me, 1 John, I believe four and other chapters, that he is love. He is love, okay? He's the definition of love. Everything he does is loving. And so we must imitate him in every way. We're able to imitate him as finite Christians, as finite people. Humans, societies, governments, churches do not decide what love is. We do not come up with what we think love is. We do not think, uh, come up with what we think is best and say, well, this is what God has to be like because if God is not how we think he should be, then he's not truly loving. See, that's totally backwards. We don't define love. God does. He is love. He is the dictionary, not us. Okay? So we learn from his word. We learn from his life. What does it look like to be loved, to live love? In the clearest and fullest expression of God's love that he's given us in scripture and in all of history is always Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus abandoning heaven and coming earth to earth to rescue us. (laughs) Jesus' life of love of service, of teaching, revealing the Father to us. Jesus bearing our sin and being punished for it and putting to death our old selves in his flesh on the cross. There's no greater love than that. (laughs) Jesus rising from the dead to declare us forever accepted by the Father. Jesus then, what, what do we get out of the ascension? Jesus ascending into heaven to forever intercede for us gladly before the Father who's glad to have us with him. That is what God is like. That is what love is like. That is how God wants us to love the way that Christ loved us. Walk in love, it says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when we see Christ crucified, when we, it, it shows us, it is like a diamond, a many-edged diamond with so many different angles that show us all these different aspects of God's love. But one, one of those main facets that we see on the diamond of the cross is that Christ's love for us is obviously a self-sacrificing love. That's how God tells us to love others, by sacrificing ourselves for others. Paul wrote to the Galatians, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And then the apostle Paul, he loved him, he loved others. His life was changed. He gave himself for others because why? What motivated it? He knew how much God loved him and how much God gave to show him his love. 
And so for us now, man, it is our privilege and our joy in our time, in our day to live this way too. To love God, to give ourselves up for God by loving others and by giving away ourselves for this world too. (laughs) And what we read here is that a spirit-filled, self-sacrificing lifestyle is a fragrant offering to the Lord. That word fragrant means pleasing aroma. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're, we're to be living sacrifices now. And 2 Corinthians 2, 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So regarding sacrifices, God does not want us to slaughter bulls and goats and sheep and doves as sacrifices to please him anymore. In fact, that's not ever really what God wanted. He wanted our love. He wanted our hearts. But we know this, Jesus' sacrifice was the final atoning sacrifice. And so now that he has atoned for us, what kind of sacrifice are we supposed to be? Living sacrifices. Not that atone for our sin, but that bring fragrant, pleasing aromas to the Lord. And so as we follow our crucified and resurrected Jesus, as we die to our sin and fight our sin, as we give away our lives for the Lord, as we abandon our rights for the sake of the lost, we emanate to God the pleasing aroma of his son in us. That's what's happening when we imitate the Lord. So what does this look like practically to to live sacrificial lives of love for God? Well, living a sacrifice, I'll give you examples that came to my mind, that living a sacrificial life of love, uh, sorry, not just from my mind, but from the scripture. This means being kind to our enemies, because that is a sacrifice. It means praying for our enemies, like Jesus said, just as, and what are we doing when we do that? We're imitating God. Because this, God was so kind to us, he died for us while we were still his enemies. Living a sacrificial, excuse me, sacrificial life of love, it means serving one another in sometimes very humble and exciting ways, right? Doing the dishes, <laughs> taking out the trash to serve the Lord and your family, cleaning the bathroom. Th- listen, this is imitating Jesus, Jesus got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his disciples. Living a sacrificial life of love means leaving our comfort zones, whatever that looks like, to befriend strangers, to invite people we don't really know well into our homes and lives, into our lives, just as Jesus left the comfort of heaven to seek us and to befriend us. You know, one of the things I've learned a lot from mission trips is, you know what people want? 
You know, you think you're going to go in, I'm going to paint this house, fix, you know, help the poor, whatever. And that's important. You know what people want? They want to be loved and have a friend. I'm so thankful God's mission to us wasn't, I'm going to come visit you for a week and then I'm out of here. He said, I'm here to have friendship with you forever. That's why I'm coming for you. And that's what he wants us to, to look, you know. He doesn't want us to just be kind. Of, oh, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good, 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 see you. He's like, no, get to know this person. Invite them into your life the way I invited your ugly life into my life. Love them the way I've loved you. Living a sacrificial life of love means not spending all of our money to buy everything we want right now. It means giving a sacrificial amount of hard-earned money to bless others and to grow God's kingdom on earth. And we're imitating God when we do that because on the cross, the Father gave, what did he give us? Everything. The most valuable treasure he had for us his one and only son, it is our turn now to joyfully be generous and bless others. Living a sacrificial life of love means bearing with difficult people in our lives. Praying for people in our lives who drive us crazy at times. Because that's what God has done for us. <laughs> you just read you know, the Old Testament there about the Israelites going through the desert? I'm, you know, why didn't God just say, enough, I'm done with this crew, right? But he's faithful to them. And he's been faithful to us. And so we want to bear with others just as God is born with us. We want to be kind towards others even amidst their flaws because we have flaws too. Living a sacrificial life of love means befriending the marginalized. Befriending the marginalized of society. That's what Jesus did. That's what God commands all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That was his nickname. They used it as a, as, as a slur, or as a, an offensive word to hurt him. You're a friend of sinners. Because he took time to sit with kids in the cafeteria that nobody else wanted to sit with. He loved those on the fringes. I could go on and on with examples, but I, I think this is what we do. When we read God's scripture, we've got to ask this. If we read a command, right, something God's telling us to do, how is this command an expression of God's love for humanity and an expression of God's love for me individually? And then how is God the epitome of the good behind this command? And then how does God want me to imitate him in light of that? This week, I got a call from a dear friend of mine. <clears throat> He's going through hell right now. And I'm not going to say more than that, but I'll just tell you, he and his family are going through hell. And you know why he called me? To encourage me and to ask how he could serve me. <laughs> In the midst of his pain, he's asking what he can sacrifice to serve me. 
That is walking in love. That is imitating God. That's what it looks like. Christian, imitating God the Father and walking in the love of Christ is the highest calling there is. We love because he first loved us. We reach out because he first reached out to us. We come to him because he first came to us. And so together as God's beloved children, let's seek together to be imitators of God the Father in this family and in our community. And let's seek to live lives of love just as Jesus Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us. May we be fragrant offerings too and living sacrifices to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. Father, thank you for your love for us. I just pray for those in our church who, including me, whose understandings of the Father have been so messed up by a world of broken fathers and by sin and Satan and everything else, God. Our dads, the good and the bad, whatever they were, they are just shadows of you and your perfection and your love. You are the father we need most. You are the father who loves us most. You are the father who's adopted us eternally because you love us. I pray that you would help us develop intimacy with you through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus for us, that you sent the Spirit to us to change our hearts towards you, to turn away from the broken idols of this world and to turn to you and to help us see how much you love us and how much you want us to live a life of love for our joy and for your glory. Help us this week to live lives of love, to be an encouragement to one another. We pray this for your honor and for our joy in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys for being here. Um, If you're new, we'd love to get to know you. And uh, you can fill out a connection card. Uh, you know, another thing I would just throw out there is, is uh, one of the practical ways you can imitate the Father and love one another this week is by reaching out to people maybe we haven't seen in a while and checking in on them, right? And just loving on them. Um, I wish I could get every, give everybody who is a member of our church and who visits our church, I call every week. I can't. But that's, you know why? Because Dan isn't the body. You are the body. And so let's, let's love one another together. Let's reach the lost together like the Father. Um, if you've got kids in junior church, um, I, I, you know, give yourself five minutes, I would say. It's only 10.55, so you talk to some people, and then, or if you really need to go get your kid right now, you can, but it's okay if you wait five minutes. Thank you, guys. We love you. Hope you have a great week. See ya.